Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. We have been enjoying the Advent season. Advent is just another word for arrival. And we are remembering during the Advent or arrival season, the first arrival of Jesus. That's what we're celebrating. And he declared the new announcement of the kingdom of God and brought love, joy, hope, which we talked about these last three weeks, and peace, which we're going to talk about today, into our world. And we're not just remembering that first arrival. We are remembering that we are longing for his second arrival, the return of our Savior when he comes and makes all things new. Now, I know that all of us want to live in the context of peace, but how many of you guys know that's easier said than done? Anybody just living in perfect peace all the time out there? Can you, can you let me know how, how you're pulling that off? You know, I want to share a little bit of a different angle to help us understand our role in the process of peace, because Jesus actually said something in the Sermon on the Mount You know, he's declared the Prince of Peace. He breaks into our world. But then he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Do you remember that? So there is this sense that we have a role of making peace. And that's the title today is Make Peace. This week I was watching a show one evening and having a snack and relaxing. And all of a sudden what popped into my mind is maybe I should exercise. Anybody ever have that happen? I like to like run on my treadmill at the house and do push-ups and sit-ups and uh, uh, do jumping jacks. And sometimes I'll do it with my kids. And I was like, you know, been a little bit behind, hadn't done it in a little while. And, and I thought about, uh, you know, maybe I should. And then while I was sitting there eating my snack, just totally not even moving, I started imagining, oh, yeah, it feels great to stretch these legs out and just kind of do that. And just thinking about it made me feel a little better. I was like, that's right. I can do that. And then I imagined myself running. I was like, I can run. I could do that next week, too. And that feels great. And after like 10 minutes of thinking about it, I'm not joking. I felt a little bit better, but I was still just sitting there eating my snacks. Have you ever done this? (laughs) Right? And I've done that more than once. And it dawned on me, wow, you know, it's, was I healthier after imagining exercising? Can you guys help me with that? Probably not. I see some nods. Are, are, you, is, are you preaching this, Nathan? We're all looking for, is this true? No, I wasn't any healthier. And if I did that for a whole year, even if I felt a little better after thinking about it, I would not actually be any healthier. And in Christianity, of course, our thoughts are profoundly important. So for certain, part of our level of peace is our thinking. And we'll talk about that today. But It cannot stop there. We actually have to learn how to make peace, or I would submit to you that nothing actually changes. And so that's what we're studying today. And the opening principle is you have an essential role to play in your level of peace. I don't know if you've thought about that a while, but we definitely live in a blame culture. And blame is the enemy of growth, always. And we will be reinforced by the world around us if we want to just live a life of blaming for why we don't have peace. And I just want to submit to you a biblical framework for your role in your own peace. We all know this. There's no shortage of things in life to not have peace about, you know, things to worry about. I call them disruptors of the peace. We might have people in our lives that we just feel like they keep making me angry. Has anybody ever thought that? 
if you're in, if you're around counseling at all, um, you learn about how no one can make you angry. You have to choose to let yourself be made angry by somebody. But nonetheless, will I ever be at peace with them? Or maybe I didn't meet my goals this last year. Why in the world would I fill myself with hope and vision for next year? Or maybe you just feel stuck in the same old destructive habits that rob your peace. Or maybe you wonder going into Christmas if there will ever be peace in your family. Every time we go into Thanksgiving and Christmas season, I do a lot of pastoral work with people who are just scared to hang with their family, right? Because they are not at peace. Is there hope? Perhaps it's, perhaps it's financial. Will prices continue to rise? Will I ever be able to get ahead financially? Will I even have work next year? Will I make enough to ever retire comfortably? Are we going to make it? And in the midst of all, in the midst of all these potentially worrisome questions, uh, we hear this call from Jesus that we're gonna study today about peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. That's number two in your notes. Shalom is often used by Jews as a word of greeting, but shalom has many, many more meetings, and there's a few in your notes. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, fulfillment. And then I have a few more on screen. Freedom from worry and trouble and all the full prosperity of all the blessedness of God. Who wants some shalom today? That was unconvincing. (laughs) Shalom is what we need. It's like a word that we don't have a replacement for in English. It is the epitome of all that God has for you. Shalom. I want some shalom. Do you guys want some shalom? Like this is what we are created for and what we are invited to by the Lord and are instructed by that same Lord that we have a part to play. And I would love to get a little fire under you that says, yes, I'm gonna receive this shalom and everything God did, but I'm also gonna fight to be a peacemaker. I am gonna fulfill my part in this and I'm gonna fully own it. Rick Ezel said the word make in the term peacemakers comes from the Greek verb that means to do or to make. It's a word bursting with energy. It mandates action and initiative. Notice Jesus did not say blessed are the peace wishers or the peace hopers or the peace dreamers or the peace lovers or the peace talkers. Peace must be made. Peace never happens by chance. Now, I wanna clarify as we get into this, Number three, all of our peacemaking is in response to what Jesus has done. Jesus has done the work to make peace with us, but we still have a role to play in our response and a role to play with how peace pans out in our world. Now, we wanna start this message by diving into what has Jesus done. So let me give you some context. This is fascinating, incredibly helpful context. So I encourage you to lock in. It won't be on screen, but I'm gonna give you some history. Welcome to the history of the world class today. So 700 years before the birth of Jesus, there was a prophecy about Jesus by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And let me give you some context about what was happening. In Isaiah's time, people were not experiencing peace. In fact, it was one of the worst, most stressful times. The people were in open rebellion against God. And even in Jerusalem, God's people had abandoned him. Sin was normalized. They worshiped idols. In Isaiah 8, we learn that the people were regularly consulting fortune tellers and cults instead of looking to God. 
It was a time of spiritual darkness and spiritual conflict. It was also a time of political conflict. God's people were divided into two nations, Israel and Judah. The political leaders of both nations were corrupt and evil. King Ahaz of Judah was an evil king who sacrificed his own child to a pagan God and destroyed the temple of God. There had been civil wars, assassinations of leaders, and rebellions. It was also a period of military conflict. Stick with me here. Divided, Judah and Israel were easy targets for outside enemies, so the Assyrian army was coming and everyone knew it. The strength of Assyria put pressure on the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, and so Israel and Syria decided to join together to resist the pressure and then tried to convince Judah to join them. Isaiah, the prophet of God, went to King Ahaz and told him that instead of joining the alliance, he should trust God for deliverance. But instead of turning to God, Ahaz asked Assyria for help. Isaiah warned Ahaz that the Assyrians would eventually turn on Judah, and because of their disobedience, the Lord would not rescue them. The country would suffer extensive loss and damage. There was conflict all around. People living in Isaiah's time were experiencing anything but peace. And this prophecy of God through Isaiah was a word of warning, but it was also a declaration of hope. We have the full word in the book of Isaiah. But look at Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is 700 years before the birth of Jesus. There was no thought or even train of thought that would lead anyone to think that the way the Messiah was going to come was going to be to be to be born as a little baby in the context that we now find out and study as history and have all of these wonderful things describing who he is. He is the Prince of Peace. It's been prophesied of old. Then 700 years later, Judah was now in a similar place. Once again, they were under the control of a foreign government, this time the Romans. When Jesus was born, track with me here, Jerusalem and the surrounding areas were not places of peace. There was continued spiritual conflict. In fact, the Jewish leaders, they fought and argued over the law. They they created a very complex set of rules that no one could follow, and the religious leaders were corrupt. It was still a time of political conflict. Rome had conquered Israel. King Herod was a violent, evil, and hated man. It was a time of military conflict as well. The Romans were constantly fighting internal battles and putting down rebellions. So 30 years before the birth of Jesus, the world was actually in complete open war. So we have two different time periods here and two very similar situations, spiritual, political, military conflict, and in each case, the result the same, complete lack of peace. Does anybody feel like our world today sounds a little bit similar? Does anyone take a little bit of hope and encouragement that all the battles and things we're facing today are not new and into this kind of context comes the Messiah, the Prince of Peace? So this instability and conflict always creates fear, confusion, chaos in our hearts. It also leads to, in this case, financial disaster. It was an economic nightmare when Jesus came into the world. Many people were starving. There was not money for most. The evil were were oftentimes rich and were getting richer and richer and richer. The poorer got poorer and had nothing. And right in the middle of all that conflict is the declaration about the Messiah. And just imagine 
700 years after that prophecy, being a shepherd, which are the, the lowest of the low in society, hanging out on a hillside, and all of a sudden, bursting from the sky comes this declaration from a heavenly host saying exactly what we read in Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. Look what the angel said in verse 10. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So in the middle of hopelessness, hope would arise. In the middle of conflict and turmoil would be the declaration of peace. And this is number four in your notes. In the middle of chaos and conflict, Jesus brings lasting peace. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like every year I live, I am more disinterested in temporary peace. There's a lot of things that promise peace, but we realize because we do it over and over and over again, it doesn't last Even things like entertainment, the reason we love entertainment and it's not bad is because it makes us feel at peace for a little bit. I'm the first one to go to a movie and grab some popcorn. And if you go with me, you're gonna realize I don't eat any popcorn until the movie is actually starting. If you're wise, you'll follow in those ways. Follow me as I follow Christ, I'm just saying. And then when the movie is starting, I start eating my popcorn, I start having my drink, and I usually do feel at peace. Because I'm lost in this story, but then guess what? No matter how long the movie is, it ends, I'm back in the world, and I forgot all about it. It does not lead to fulfillment, satisfaction, or peace. A great meal, while wonderful to have a great meal and can be glorifying unto God, does not bring lasting peace. It feels good while we eat it, but then it's gone. Things working out financially for us might be a wonderful celebration for a while. Then we realize it hasn't changed anything, and we still don't have peace. All the things we put in the category of this will fulfill me are lies except Jesus. And it takes forever for us to learn that. Jesus is the only lasting peace. And so what I wanna give you are these four principles to be at peace this Christmas season and hopefully going into a new year and really how to make peace and hopefully be a blessed peace Maker. The first one is be at peace with God. And then I put two words there that really describe how we make that peace. Receive and repent. How do we make peace with God? Really, he has done all the work. He has gone to the cross. He has borne on himself the weight of all of our sin and shame. And he has overcome it, risen from the dead, defeated it and clothed us in his righteousness, or I should say, has made a way for us to approach him to do that. He's done everything he can do, but we still must receive it, right? And then as we receive it, it's evidenced by our repentance. In other words, like any loving parent, you will do everything you can to communicate and make a path for your child, but you can't force them to walk on it. Anybody with me? You can only do what you can do. It's not a reflection of your love. You would lay down your life for them. You would commit everything to them. God has done that for you, but I just wanna wanna help us remember you have a role in making peace with God. 
You can be fighting him today or you can be at peace with him today. And he doesn't decide that, you do. He's done everything he can do to be at peace with you. He has made a way. This doesn't mean you save yourself. It just means you've got to say yes and you've got to keep saying yes. And we all know the times in our life when we have been fighting against God. We're afraid of what it will cost us to completely say yes. We can live in church decade after decade and be involved and serve and do the whole thing without ever giving a full yes to God and saying, I am jumping in the river of God. That is where peace is. That is where peace, that passes understanding is. That's what I'm interested in. Look at what Romans 5.1 says. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So pay attention here. The peace that we have with God is through Jesus. He has done the work. How are we justified? By faith. So you have a role to play in making that peace. It's called your faith. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. He's done it all. He's, he's, he's wrapped the bow for you. He's put it under your tree. He can't open it for you. You have to open it. Look what Jesus said. The very first thing he declared when he began his earthly ministry was, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, I am God. I am with you. This is the incarnation. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. God breaks into our history. He says, I am here now. Repent. There's a whole new way to live. There's a whole new way to think. So if we wanna be at peace with God, we have to do our part in making that peace. Number two, be at peace with yourself. Confess and be healed. We've talked about this one a little bit recently, but we miss this sometimes in scripture. We can't love others until we love ourselves. It's bad news for you and your neighbor if you don't love yourself because you're not gonna be able to love them. It's bad news for your kids if you don't love yourself because you're not gonna be able to love them in the way that God wants you to. It's bad news for your spouse if you don't love yourself because you're gonna, you're gonna constantly be grappling with who you even are. And don't hear me wrong, I believe this is a lifelong process, but there is a miracle that happens when we realize God loves us and we can love us. And we can be comfortable in who we are. He has done the work. He has said, you are a priceless treasure. And this needs to be rewritten in our brains every single day. Because I know that many of you out there have been told for a long time, whether by uh, abusers or people that just were unwise or yourself, that you're just a loser. That you're not worth anything. That you just, you're gonna, you failed once, you're gonna keep failing. Now it's 10,000 times that you're at this stage of life. Or this just doesn't work for you, it works for others. There's a million narratives against you. You must rewrite that narrative by believing the truth of God. You must make peace with yourself by receiving the love of God. And I'm telling you, trust me, I know, this is daily work. This is everyday kind of work. I do believe that as we keep doing that, God uses miraculous power to literally rewire us and help us live in that kind of security. I always try to ask myself when I'm responding negatively, I try to say, Nathan, how would you respond if you knew you were completely loved and secure? If I knew that, I would, I would live different. I would respond different. All those temporary uh, promises of peace would not be tempting anymore. 
because I'm secure and I'm loved where I am. All those other things we run to for peace are just self-medicating or escapism. That's what they are. And so like entertainment is not bad, but it can become very, 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 very bad because it can become an idol. You tracking with me? So this is dialing back to who we are. You must learn to love yourself. And the process is confess and be healed. Confess, I mean, in two ways based on scripture. One is just confess your sin. We don't always feel like this, but church is the place to confess your sin. It's not the place to come and act like you've got it together. You come to confess. Trust me, I'm with you. Total mess right here. Anybody with me? I got lots to confess, always. And I don't wanna make you nervous about me as the pastor, but I'm very, very, very human. In fact, during first service, while we were worshiping, you know, like, like all of us, hopefully, I was just trying to lean into the Lord and his presence and his voice and let go of the gazillion things that are, I'm always thinking about. And, and as I was focusing on the Lord, I, I, I really felt like the Lord remind me of something. And this is gonna scare you when I first say it, but it's really good news. He, he basically said to me, Nathan, you're so off, but I'm still with you. That's what I sensed from the Lord during first service this morning. And that really encouraged me. Now, I want to calm perhaps your imagination. Uh, it's, it's not like God convicting me about some big like disqualifying problem or thing, but it's a lifelong process of following Jesus that the closer you get to him, the more you see your own sinfulness. The Apostle Paul demonstrated this. It was at the end of his ministry. This is the Apostle Paul. Most of the books of the New Testament came through this man. And at the end of his ministry, his most mature moment, he said, I am the chief of all sinners. And I'm telling you, you're gonna go one way or the other. The closer you get to him, the more you realize even your righteousness is like filthy rags. And so the reason hearing that from the Lord again is encouraging to me is because even when I feel like I'm living my best day and getting it all right, my righteousness is like filthy rags compared to the glory of God. But because of the gospel of Jesus and being at peace with God, I receive his holiness and righteousness and he is with me, right? And I can walk in that of no, of no merit of my own, except for saying yes. So it's really good news. So part of confessing is confess your sin. Find someone to confess to today. Confess to God. And then the second part of confessing is confess the promises, more like the declarative version of confessing, confess the promises of God, who you are. You must remind yourself, I am the beloved of God. I'm a son, I'm a daughter of God. You are an actual masterpiece, made holy, chosen, forgiven, new creation, redeemed, child of God, worth more than gold. You know, things like suicide rise around seasons like this. We've had a few public ones in the culture recently. And I just want to remind you, don't underestimate how valuable you are to those around you. And don't underestimate how profound a gap there would be in the world without you. We have an enemy of our souls that lies to us. And you can be at peace with yourself in increasing ways today through the Prince of Peace. In Colossians 3.15 it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Part of confessing truth is moving towards letting that peace rule in us. The third is be at peace with others. So be at peace with God, be at peace with yourself. And we could even say it like this, make peace with God. He's done all the work, but you must step into it. Make peace with yourself. You need to work on that daily. And now make peace with others. Forgive and be forgiven. Forgive. 
That's the how. When we connect with God, he does a miracle in us. And all of a sudden, we're able to love and forgive others. I would submit to you that unless you've had to deeply forgive someone yet, you haven't been tested on whether you love them yet. It's really easy to like love people and be like, yeah, we're doing this when people are doing what you want them to do. It becomes real when they don't do what you want them to do or they hurt you or they lie or they betray or they don't deserve it. Then you have the choice to love and forgive. That's how we are loved by God. That's why the only way we are empowered to, empowered to do this is by connecting first with being at peace with him, being at peace with us. Then we can move towards peace with others. Romans 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Thomas Merton subs, sums this up really beautifully. Man is not at peace with his fellow man because he is not at peace with himself. He is not at peace with himself because he is not at peace with God. Now, you guys know as well as I do that the most work you're going to have to do in your life as far as making peace with others is with those you love the most. It's with your spouse. It's with your kids. It's with your parents. It's with your siblings. It's them. I say this pretty regularly, but I can move towards forgiveness and peace towards you guys a lot easier than I can my wife. It's harder. And sometimes, just to be honest, I can fake it a lot easier with you guys than I can with my wife or with my kids. And I don't want to hurt your perception of me as a pastor more, but <laughs> everyone's just going to leave today being like, we got to pray for that guy. <laughs> you guys know this, and I'm not sure if it's just my season of life, but I'm not exaggerating. I sometimes feel like all day, every day, is figuring out how to deal with the disruptors of peace. All day. Every day. Anybody with me? I'm like, I don't, was I like this when I was 20? Was it this hard? Like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I am at a stage in life where there's a lot of people in my house. I don't know if that affects it. A lot of them are little. Um. What I've realized is I have to over and over and over again ask for forgiveness for not responding correctly to the disruptors of peace. Again, back to chief of sinners, chief repenter. And it's not enough for you to make peace with God and not make peace with others. Now, let me clarify. This doesn't mean you stay real close to abusive situations. I'm talking about what's in your heart towards people, right? Point being, if you lay on the couch and think about forgiving people, but don't make peace, it's not real, right? It's just like my exercise was not real. <laughs> you have to actually make peace, and that is a whole lot of hard, right? It's a lot of swallowing our pride and doing what we know needs to be done, though we don't want to do it. Anybody with me? And I think if we we're really following Jesus, we're going to get really used to humbling ourselves and asking for forgiveness and making peace with others. And then lastly, number four, be at peace in the storm. And even if it's not a storm, just be at peace in your circumstance. And you do it with trust and obedience, trust and obey. A lot of times we have this mindset, as soon as these storms settle, I will be at peace. Has anybody ever thought that? Not true. 
As soon as my kids get this old, I will be at peace. Not true. As soon as I make this much money, I will be at peace. Not true. As soon as I get to this point in my career, I will be at peace. Not true. As soon as I meet that special someone and tie the knot, I will be at peace. Can all the married people say, not true? (laughs) None of those things create peace. They all make peace harder, (laughs) right? We must learn how to be at peace in our current circumstance. Someone after first service came up to me, I won't share their name, and they showed up at Graceland Church nine or 10 months ago by their own words, totally broken, completely hurt, barely able to walk into a church facility, everything in them except for peace. Um, A lot of extreme circumstances going on in their life. And I've watched over these nine, 10 months as God has absolutely done a transformative work inside of them. And she came up after first service to tell me, hey, I just wanted to remind you, and maybe you can even share it in second service, that we had no peace when we first showed up and started pursuing Jesus in this context. Now we show up today literally glowing with peace, but nothing in their circumstances changed. That's what she was clear to tell me. All those things they're desperately crying out to God for him to intervene on that are impossible for them to control have not changed, she said, none of them in 10 months. Yet they are walking closer to the Lord than they've ever been in the supernatural peace of God. We must learn peace now. There is no such thing as tomorrow. Anytime we are going to learn peace, it is going to be today. You cannot learn it for tomorrow. It is an illusion to think that somewhere out there, I'm gonna learn this shalom of God. If it's not now, it's never. That's not meant to be discouraging. It's just wake up call. Here we are. This is life. We're doing it. God has invited you to the shalom, the shalom of God, all the blessedness of God, peace, wholeness, fulfillment, satisfaction. I want that. And as the worship team comes up, we're going to focus in our attention on the only source that leads us to shalom, which is Jesus. We're going to close by taking communion together. Listen to what Paul Massey said. Jesus is not merely a teacher of peace or one who proclaimed peace. Jesus doesn't just represent peace. No, Jesus is peace. He is literally peace in the flesh. And when we come to truly know Jesus and not just know about Jesus, a miracle begins. Then when we also begin to hang out with Jesus on a daily basis, his heavenly peace starts to totally saturate us, body, soul, and spirit. So all we're doing today, it's the most profound yet simplest thing we could ever do. We're running to Jesus. Anybody with me? We are running to the source of peace. And I want you to take ownership of your part. I want to be at peace with you, God. Just start praying it now. I want to be at peace with you, God. Forgive me for where I've fallen short. And Lord, I want to be at peace with myself. I pray you'll just drop off of me all the lies that I, all the the, the stories and narratives and lies that I believe about me. I want to believe what you say. Do a supernatural work in my mind and in my heart. And Lord, I want to do everything I can do to make peace with others, starting with those closest to me. If I have a spouse, I I lift that spouse before you right now. I pray for them, God. Teach me to see them through your eyes. Teach me to offer forgiveness. Teach me to lay down my life for them. Teach me to forgive them and teach me to accept forgiveness from them, for my children, for my parents, for my siblings, aunts and uncles, for coworkers. Lord, teach us to be at peace with people, to be free, to offer what we have freely received to others. And we're gonna declare our Yes to all of this as we take communion. So church, 
everyone's welcome to take communion, but if you take it, you're saying, I'm a follower of Christ. You're responding with us. If you'd like a packet and don't have one, you can raise your hand real quick. There's a few over here, Oscar. Just hold it up for a second, and uh, there's a few in the middle too, Oscar. Just hold your hand up, guys. Uh, everyone else, let's begin. Uh, take, the, take the top off the piece with the bread. And go ahead and take that piece of bread in your hand. This bread, according to Scripture, is representative of the body of Christ. Keep your hands up for a second, guys, if you need one. This bread is representative of uh, the very body of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, it says that when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is for you. <sighs> Do this in remembrance of me. Think of that for a second. The body of Jesus, he says, is for who? You. How incredible. So Lord, today as we hold this, we remember that you are for me, not against me. Come on, guys. Pray that over yourself. I remember today you are for me, not against me. You have made a way for peace, for hope for life your body was broken so that I could be whole I say yes to the shalom of God today I don't know how to fully do all this I need a miracle God but I say yes let's eat together as we remember go ahead and open up the juice Jesus said in verse 25 this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Lord, we thank you that when we say yes to you, we are literally under a new set of rule, a new set of power, a new reign. If you call it the new covenant. We are covered by you. You have made peace with us as far off as we are you have made peace through your shed blood on the cross thank you Lord thank you God let's just tell him church thank you for making peace with me Lord and if you don't know him yet just pray it in your heart I want to follow you Jesus I ask for forgiveness again maybe for the first time for how I've fallen short thank you for giving me peace through the forgiveness of my sins Thank you for inviting me into a whole new life, a whole new kingdom. I repent. I confess you as my Savior and my Lord. I step down as the Lord of my own life, and you are on the throne of my heart, the throne of my mind. I commit my days to you. In Jesus' name, let's drink together. I'm going to pray this benediction over us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a great week. Love you.